Democratic base is very dialed into abortion rights as an issue more broadly. Uh, Same-sex marriage, right. The state's last abortion Mr. provider. Has now apologized to his congregation. Believe the Bible has application for every part of our lives. would violate her views as a Southern Baptist. He's on camera saying that the problem Bill Barr was a great attorney general in the midst of all of today's noise and confusion, we need a voice that cuts through the chaos to bring wisdom and clarity. Welcome to The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's, an hour-long show exploring critical issues related to faith and culture from a uniquely Christian perspective. Now, here's your host, Julie Roy's. Women can do just about anything a man can do in our society, yet within many churches and denominations, women are barred from preaching. Is this biblical, as some Christian leaders argue, or is it misogynist, as some others say? Welcome to the Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I'm Julie Roy's, and if you follow Christian media at all, you know there's been quite the controversy raging right now concerning women preachers in the evangelical church. It all started about five months ago on Mother's Day. That's when popular women's Bible teacher Beth Moore preached in a Southern Baptist church. Now, the official position of the Southern Baptist church is that women cannot hold the office of a pastor. However, What Moore did was kind of step into this gray area of women preaching who are not pastors. And wow, did it create a stir. Christian leaders for and against women preachers began going at it on Facebook and Twitter. Several prominent pastors and bloggers wrote articles. And just as things were beginning to die down, John MacArthur, a popular author, pastor, and host of the radio program Grace to You, ignited it again. At an event at his church in mid-October, MacArthur said something many believed was disrespectful and demeaning of more. It happened while MacArthur was participating in a discussion on stage with Phil Johnson. Uh, Johnson is the executive director of Grace to You, and moderating that discussion was Todd Friel. He's the host of Wretched, a conservative Christian radio and TV ministry. Here's a recording of that interaction. I will say a word, and then the three of you need to give a one or a pithy response to the word. Are you ready? I feel like I'm being set up. That is always the case with Todd. Watch out for him. He will try to embarrass you. We're going to start out. This is this is just kind of touching your toes. Easy, easy setup for you. Let's begin with an easy one. The word is Beth Moore. That's two words. <laughs> Literalist. All right, Dr. MacArthur, Beth Moore. How many words do I get? You know. Actually, and, and before you answer this, please think carefully this time, because last time you did a one-word association, yeah, the guy wrote a book a about trouble, it, and no. we don't want that. I was thinking of the same word. Okay. Go home. Well, you can see why some might have found MacArthur's comment uh, offensive. Whether you agree or disagree with women preachers, many argued that that response was condescending. So about two weeks ago, MacArthur preached a sermon clarifying his position, and here's a short clip where he begins by reading a portion of 1 Timothy 2, and then he says, So women are called to modesty, discretion, good works, godliness, and what does that look like? It means that they quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, entire submissiveness. But I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. That is so absolute, it's unbending. No preaching, no teaching, no leading position in the church. 
You say, well, this, again, this is quirky Paul. Is this just Paul? No. Look at verse 13. This was designed by God. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. This is the divine order. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. God created Adam. He was alone. He took a rib out of Adam. He made a woman, and the woman was to be Adam's helper. But not only was this God's creative design, it was basically affirmed in the fall. Verse 14, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is a very severe warning, very severe warning. A woman out from under the protection of her head is vulnerable. Because of typical women's sensibilities, passions and compassion, because of their tendencies toward kindness and mercy and care, they become more vulnerable when unprotected. Now that, is, that is a reality today that is in no short supply being exhibited by the vast number of women running around single who have neither a father nor a husband to protect them from deception. Wow. So what do you think of that? Do women's tendencies towards kindness, compassion, and care make them more vulnerable to deception? Is that why women shouldn't preach or teach? And is the restriction Paul places on women as absolute as John MacArthur says? Well, joining me to discuss the issue is John Dixon. John is a Christian apologist and minister. He's also the author of Hearing Her Voice, The Case for Women Giving Sermons. And John is on the phone right now from his home in Australia. So, John, welcome. Lovely to talk with you, Julie. Also, I want to mention that uh, in the second segment, Lena Abujamra will be joining me. Lena is an author, speaker, and founder of Living with Power Ministries. But pertinent to our discussion today, she's also a woman who has preached in churches before. So she'll be joining us in just a bit. But, John, let me start with, I would love to just get your reaction to John MacArthur's statements. What do you think of those? Well, as, as someone who has in the past looked up to John MacArthur and, you know, admired his boldness and commitment to biblical truth, I found it really uh, quite disturbing. Um, the expression, go home, followed by sort of rapturous applause and hoots from the audience, um, is disturbing to me. And uh, maybe it's a, it's a thing that makes more sense in America than it does in Australia, but if you tell a woman, go home, as the one thing you say to them, this is, this is demeaning, this is dehumanizing. Um, and then for the cheers to follow, it just was a double whammy. And um, I felt ashamed. You know, I come from that strong evangelical Bible-focused tradition, mm-hmm. and the thought that it can lead to this, uh, you know, was worrying to me, you know, even leaving aside the scandal about John MacArthur, I thought, man, is this same attitude in me somewhere? Hmm. Well, that's, that's a good place to be introspective on these things for sure. Um, and I know there's a big discussion right now because the Southern Baptist Church has been embroiled in a sex abuse scandal and cover up and, you know, some Paige Patterson had an issue with him um, and misogyny and misogynistic type statements uh, and people saying, well, is this just part of being complementarian? And for those of you who are listening, there's there's basically two camps. There's egalitarian, which believe that women are 
and men are equal in worth, but really the same in function. Complementarian would say that you're equal in worth, but complementary or different in function. And what I think is interesting today is, is that, John, you are a complementarian, so you believe that there are different roles. But when it comes specifically mm. to preaching, you feel, unlike John MacArthur, and I think there is a whole bit to unpack with just attitudes and some of those things, but putting those mm. aside, if we go just to the scripture that he quoted, which was from 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13, um, you feel that what he is saying is an absolute prohibition isn't an absolute prohibition. And we have you know just a couple of minutes to start unpacking that. We can unpack more of it on the other side of the break, but... Start to get into that. Why do you believe that First uh, Timothy two isn't necessarily an absolute prohibition against women doing any preaching in the church? Well, the first thing to say is that uh, I don't think we should fall into our tribes on this. Um, I think when uh, godly Bible-believing evangelicals come to different conclusions on something, you know, after humble, diligent study. That should be a sign to us all to cut each other slack, you know, not to be down on the hard egalitarians, not to be down on the hard complementarians, but to cut each other slack. But in terms of the substantial issue, um, it's correct that 1 Timothy 2.12 says, uh, and Paul says, that he does not permit a woman to teach and have authority. Now, most scholars think that that's the same thing, to have teaching authority. That's, that's what the Greek probably means. Now, I don't think there's any way around that. Um, the question is, what is teaching? And everyone knows that there are many words in Scripture for uh, what we might call a sermon, for publicly speaking to the congregation. And they are admonishing, preaching, teaching, evangelizing, exhorting, prophesying, and I could go on and on. And the interesting thing is, these are different words in English and Greek, and Paul explicitly calls them different. In, say, Romans 12, Paul says that exhorting, prophesying, and teaching are different. He actually uses the word different. Um, And so I want to say, okay, Paul said he does not permit a woman to teach. Does that rule out prophesying, exhorting, preaching, evangelizing, and all the other activities that you can do from a pulpit? Okay, hold that thought. We have to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to pick up with that. Again, uh, speaking with me is John Dixon, author of Hearing Her Voice, The Case for Women Giving Sermons. Also joining me in the next segment will be Lena Abujamra. I'm Julie Royce. You're listening to The Royce Report, and we will be right back. We now return to The Royce Report. Here's your host, Julie Royce. Should women be preachers? Welcome back to the Royce Report. I'm Julie Royce. And today we're wrestling with this hotly debated issue in the church that's recently grabbed headlines. As we discussed in the first segment, prominent author and pastor John MacArthur told popular women's Bible teacher Beth Moore to go home. And that touched off a firestorm of controversy, which is still raging. And I think there's more to that issue than just theology, because MacArthur said things that some would say go beyond what the Scripture says. And we'll talk about that later in the show. But biblically, one of the main passages is 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. And in that passage, the Apostle Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet, 
For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. MacArthur interpreted that passage to be an absolute prohibition on women preaching in church ever. But my guest today, John Dixon, challenges that view. John explains in his book, hearing her voice, the case uh, for women giving sermons, his entire position. And I'm going to be giving away five copies of that book today. To enter that giveaway, just go to julieroy, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. That's julieroys.com slash giveaway. So John is joining me on the phone from Australia, but also joining me now in studio is Lena Abujamra. Lena is an author, speaker, and founder of Living with Power Ministry. She's also someone who's preached in the church. So Lena, welcome. Hey, good to be here. So um, I want to get your perspective on what John is describing right now, but you are kind of in the middle, John. So I want to give you an opportunity to uh, finish your explanation of what you think teaching really means in that uh, First Timothy passage. Yeah, well, if, if uh, 1 Timothy 2.12 had said, I do not permit a woman to prophesy in church, we'd all be really zeroing in on that word and saying, okay, what does prophesying mean? And that's the activity women are not allowed to do. But there are so many other kinds of speaking in church that clearly wouldn't be a prohibition on other kinds of speaking. But the fact that it uses the word teaching, suddenly we generalize and say, oh, that refers to everything from the pulpit. And I want to say, hang on, who said that? Um, we know that women can prophesy in church. 1 Corinthians 11 says so. Paul says nothing about women exhorting the church, and that word to give an exhortation in the New Testament is much closer to what we call a sermon today, and Paul doesn't forbid women to do that. He does seem to forbid teaching. It doesn't say preaching, it says teaching. And so then you've got to ask the question, what does teaching, didasco, the Greek word, mean in the pastoral epistles? That is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And it's been long known in New Testament scholarship that this word didasco, to teach, does not mean everything we would mean by the English term, communicating some idea to another. It really uh, is focused on preserving and passing on the oral traditions of the apostles. It doesn't refer to expounding a written text. It refers to handing over the apostolic doctrines, which in the period 1 Timothy was written, uh, were not written down yet. There were no Gospels written down. Most of the letters uh, of the New Testament hadn't been written down and certainly circulated. And so the way uh, the traditions of the apostles ended up uh, being taught to congregations was through this practice of oral tradition, where people were entrusted with the words of the apostles and they were to repeat them and make sure that the congregations learned them. But that was a separate activity from the exhortations that anyone might give, including women, uh, in the church meeting. And so this is what I think Paul is forbidding. Um, It's sort of drawing on nerdy New Testament scholarship, where this Mm -hmm. is uh, widely accepted that this is the meaning of teaching. It's It's just that I've tried to bring that meaning of teaching to bear on the question of what exactly does Paul forbid? And I don't think it's what we call the sermon. Hmm. And I, I've always wondered this, like when we, when we argue this, I mean, in the first century church, were they having sermons, you know, like we have on Sunday morning? I mean, this is somewhat culturally determined, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. They were almost certainly having exhortations. Yeah. Um, this expression, a word of exhortation, does seem to refer to a speech. 
that is given in the congregation. Uh, Jews use this expression, but so did uh, Paul and other New Testament passages refer to this word of exhortation. But it's not called teaching. Um, so the synagogue had a, a kind of what we might call sermon, or maybe they had several of them, but they at least had one. Uh, but that doesn't um, say that they didn't have other kinds of speaking as well. And Paul indicates this in 1 Corinthians 11, where he, he has women prophesying and praying in church. No problem. Absolutely no problem. So I think we need to do the harder work of working out what is prophesying, and is prophesying closer to what we call a sermon, and what is teaching, and how does that have a role in the church today? Okay, but you're saying teaching, from your understanding at least used there, is more this authoritative teaching, which would be passing on the apostles' tradition, which is pre-the written New Testament, correct? Am I understanding that yeah, right? I'm yeah, I'm saying, yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. So, Lena, uh, you have preached in church, but you're, you're not egalitarian. Correct. Yeah, I mean, my background is extremely conservative um, in every way, and I grew up cutting my teeth, learning how to teach, uh, listening to John MacArthur's sermons. I mean, that was really the—I would prepare Bible studies, reading his sermons on—and literally, like, he's got a sermon for verse—I mean, thousands of hours probably spent reading his material. So, really admire mm-hmm. him and really look up to him in many ways. And honestly, I wasn't probably as offended by that clip as most people were at the beginning, because probably because my tradition <laughs> growing up in sort of a, you know, hyper-conservative, you know, complementarian background and, and being Lebanese and sort of having a bit of a ER mentality. I'm used to people speaking their mind, especially if they believe something. But the more you listen to it, the more it's offensive. But but honestly, like, I, I, I sort of gave him credit of, okay, well, at least he stands for what he, you know, for what he believes. I've always respected that about him, even in other conversations like the tongues. And, you know, there are many, many people I admire who are continuationists. And, you know, and and so I think there's a layer to this. Just because John MacArthur says it doesn't mean it's the Holy Grail. And I think there is a sense where conservatives can get so attached to a teacher or a speaker that it's like, that's part of it. I mean, he said it, now I believe it, that settles it. And I think that's, you know, sort of part of this whole conversation is this awakening to, hey, just because he said it doesn't mean we all have to believe it, right? Or or vice versa, whoever your favorite teacher is. And I think what I appreciate about John here to walking us through this is, is, is sort of gets you to sort of think of, there are some very educated people who are studying these things and coming to different conclusions. And we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that probably the, the, the perspective about the MacArthur, and by the way, I found more offensive his sermon after than I did his comments about Beth Moore. Mm. Because he's, he, it, 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 his, his opinions weren't just you know, so much that he didn't like one person and, and was sort of, you know, you could say, well, maybe they had a feud. You can, you know, he maybe stepped out of his, you know, usual diplomacy. He doesn't know we're living in 2019 where everything is, is heard everywhere and et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe he did. But, but the sermon was really a reflection of what he believes about womanhood. Mm. And, and as a, as a, and ironically, again, and I think, I think you, you sort of step back and listen and, and try to give a person a benefit of the doubt, but 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 there were so many layers to it where I really realized, like I listened to that sermon, wanting to find even more reason to to believe what he teaches. And again, my bias is complementarianism and conservatism. And honestly, I walked away from it thinking, I think John MacArthur would think I am Satan. Mm. <laughs> I mean, literally, because I'm a doctor, I'm independent, I'm single, I'm speaking on Sunday mornings when, at the invitation of churches. And so, I, and so I can't base my theology and my life and my conviction on what John MacArthur says. 
I have to base it on what God says to me through his word. And so, John, I appreciate your perspective because it's sort of founded on the word of God and you're thinking through this. And there are many who have, have commented on even the cultural setting of when Corinthians was written and Timothy was written and, and how the woman would speak. They weren't educated, so they didn't know things. And so would, there was this loudness in the environment, at the church. And so they, Paul's way of saying, be quiet and let your husbands teach you at home because you can't focus in the setting of, whereas now we all have our phones, we can Google things. We don't need a person to teach us because we're all educated, et cetera, et cetera. So there are so many cultural layers to this that I think are important to understand that I think were ignored in that sermon and in the comments. Although I would guess an egalitarian would would more say, well, this could just be culturally determined. Complementarian, they're going to really hone in on the part of that verse that says what happened with Adam and Eve, you know, saying, well, they're going back to creation. So this means this is for all time. This is not a culturally determined thing. Am I right with that, John? Well, they do. But um, the more I study this passage, the clearer it is to me that Paul is just um, using that Old Testament story from Genesis 2 and 3 as a kind of uh, illustration of what he's saying. Because his point is that he wants the male teaching elder to be the backstop for the apostolic doctrine in the congregation. Whoever does the preaching, I mean, you know, lots of people can engage in preaching, but the backstop, the person who has teaching authority, who protects, who protects the word of the apostles in the congregation is the male elder. And then he says, now let's think of Genesis 2 and 3. Okay, hold there. We need to go to break. But when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. Fascinating conversation with John Dixon, also Lena Abujamra. I'm Julie Royce. You're listening to The Royce Report. We will be right back. Thank you for listening to The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's. The Roy's Report is a listener-supported program, and we're only able to broadcast this program with donations from listeners like you. If you'd like to see this quality program continue, please go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com, and click on the Donate button. Now, more of The Roy's Report. Once again, here's Julie Roy's. What does the Bible really say about women preachers? Welcome back to The Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I'm Julie Roy's, and today we're exploring this issue, which divides an awful lot of Christians. Some say the Bible strictly prohibits women from doing any preaching at all, while others say that's a misinterpretation of what the Bible says. What do you think on this issue? I'd love to hear what you have to say, and you can join the live online discussion uh, through social media. To get to us on Facebook, just go to facebook.com slash reachjulieroyce, and Royce is spelled R-O-Y-S. And on Twitter, our handle is at reachjulieroyce. And by the way, if you're just joining us and maybe you missed the first half of the program or you just want to listen back to this, uh, I will be posting full audio of the program later today at my website, julieroyce.com. But joining me right now in studio is a woman who has preached in a church before, Dr. Lena Abujamra. Lena is a pediatric physician. She's also the uh, or an author and the founder of Living with Power Ministries. Also joining me is John Dixon, an apologist and author of Hearing Her Voice, The Case for Women Giving Sermons. And John, right before the break, you were saying, uh, we're talking about uh, 1 Timothy uh, 2, 11 through 13, and then it goes It talks about Adam and Eve, how it was the woman, Eve, who was deceived first, not Adam. Many saying, well, that is establishing that this is not a culturally uh, conditional kind of uh, verse, that it's actually for all time. You're saying, I'm not so sure. So explain yourself. Well, I think he's simply saying that just as 
the male teaching elder is to be the protector of the oral traditions laid down by the apostles. So Adam was the first to receive. He's going right back to the beginning and saying, the first to receive God's commandment, God's oral tradition, uh, do not eat from that tree, was Adam. And he was the one who heard it. He was the one uh, charged with protecting that word. And yet he didn't step up to, uh, to responsibly protect that word. And Eve was deceived. I think this has nothing to do with women being more you know, susceptible to deception. It's that Adam didn't do his role of being the protector of that word given. I think that's all Paul is saying. He's just taking from the first uh, example of a word given to someone to protect, the mm. first example of that in the Bible, and saying, look, this is, this is why I'm telling you now that a male teaching elder is to be the backstop for teaching, regardless of who gives sermons. Hmm. This is fascinating to me. I have to say, I've studied this issue a ton. I've read an entire book on this one passage uh, from the Krogers, who Catherine Kroger, uh, Clark Kroger, I think it is. And I remember she, this is a, probably a 20, 25-year-old book where she was arguing that this was a Gnostic or pre-Gnostic kind of understanding. I don't know if I ever really bought that. But uh, it seems like we've been arguing this passage for a really, really long time. And then you have the word authentic. You know, some people are saying, you know, it's it's usually translated now to assume authority. Some say it's to exert, you know, usurp authority. Others say, no, no, it's just a good kind of authority. And again, disagreement on what that word means, because I think it's the only time it occurs in the New Testament. Um, so I, I'm curious, Lena, you, you stepped up. I, I have to admit, I've actually preached in a church once. Um, but other than that, that was my only time. But you, you've done it. You've preached in a church before, and, you know, you must have thought long and hard, is, am I at liberty to do this or not? I mean, how'd you come down? Yeah, I, um, I felt called by God to teach the Bible back to, in 2001, and uh, really it felt like it was something that if God wants me to do, he'd open opportunities for me to do it. And, uh, you know, and I've sort of walked in obedience, to the best of my knowledge, to that calling and it's funny because even Beth Moore made a comment about that after the John MacArthur tape. We would go home and he, he, they ridiculed her. Many ridiculed her about talking mm-hmm. about that. But really, there is a specific sense of calling that happens when God calls somebody to vocational ministry, whether it's to be a missionary or even the calling to be a doctor. There was a specific calling in my life to teach the Bible. And then I let it go. And if I sat down with you and told you how often that calling looked like it was going to be destroyed and wasn't, it, it is clear that it is a God thing, not a Lena thing. I couldn't build it. I couldn't think it. I couldn't manage it. I can guarantee you that it is a God thing. So as God opened opportunities for me to teach on Sundays, and by the way, I've taught on Sundays in my local church under the authority of my pastor, um, the current church I'm in. And I've, um, as I've been invited, I've asked the discernment of the Spirit and of course, I, I have um, a group of people that uh, are in my life that I love and respect, and, and that I, um, uh, and including my pastor, and I've felt the freedom to do so. Um, and I think, even thinking through what John, what you're saying, I think there's a sort of a realization that happens. We think we get so caught up with these labels, complementary and egalitarians, and it's almost like we're given two choices. It's like you're in a restaurant and you can order two things. And I think people forget that within the complementarian camp, there may be disagreement as to the extent of freedom. And even now, like I've watched, uh, I know there's a podcast that Jen Wilkin did with her church team talking about how they've changed their stance on what they used to believe to 
what they do now. And though they still mm-hmm. don't hold a woman to allow her to speak on a Sunday morning church, their definition of what a woman can do is much broader than what they would have had 10 years ago. So I think mm-hmm. that we forget that. And so all of a sudden, it's either you're a bad guy who did this or a bad girl who preached on Sunday or um, or you're a good girl. Who, you know, whatever camp you're in, you sort of decipher by that camp. And I think that it's so important to hear even John's perspective, who's a conservative teacher, to say, look, there may be disagreement even in this quote unquote camp. My burden, and even in, in, in just this sun, last Sunday, I spoke at a church, uh, he spoke, preached, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I wasn't there as a pastor, but I was there as a clear exhorter mm-hmm. of scripture. And I think my, my biggest burden in the United States right now, and what grieves me in watching this discussion take this tangent, is that there are more, there is more darkness in the United States now than ever before, spiritual darkness. There are more people growing up in the church who have zero understanding and knowledge of scripture and zero, just plain knowledge. They don't know mm-hmm. the stories of scripture. And so the more we can equip and train people to, to know the word of God, to trust the Lord, and then to go out and live it and teach it anywhere, I mean, that is a win for the kingdom of God. And so now to say, okay, 50% of the people who are in this church, please stop talking to me is, is, is a horrific thing. And by the way, coming from the Middle East and now going to visit repeatedly and watching what women who come from a Muslim background are doing and teaching and advancing the kingdom of God oh, wow. is, yeah. is, is mind boggling. In Iran, uh, I know women are really the ones that are at the forefront of this explosive church growth movement. A lot of it just evangelism one-on-one, but yeah, it's amazing. You're right. Exactly. Um, John, I know you need to go after this break, and we only have like a minute or so left, but speak to people like Lena, women who are listening, who feel, man, I I feel a passion to preach. Well, I think uh, study the scriptures, uh, do it humbly and prayerfully, just as a bloke should, uh, (laughs) and then find a pastor, you know, who's open to this and find the opportunities, because I hate the way that uh, women get very few opportunities. And so when they get up to speak, it's not as good as a man who's had 50 opportunities. And then people use that as a reason why she shouldn't give another sermon, because that wasn't as good as the bloke. I think that's ridiculous. We need to jump in, practice, give the opportunities for, you know, at my own church, a conservative church in, in Sydney, we have two regular female preachers as well as the male preachers, and they do it a lot, and they are brilliant, and the church loves it. And they're not deceived. That's awesome. <laughs> More than the men. Oh, I appreciate that, Sean. Thank you. And thank you for that word. I, I mean, it's so true. I mean, women don't get that much opportunity, and when you do get an opportunity, you feel like, oh, man, this is my one chance, and I better not blow it. It's pretty tough. Again, John Dixon, thank you so much for joining us. Lena Abujamra with me. I'm Julie Royce. You're listening to The Royce Report. We'll be right back after a short break. This is The Royce Report with Julie Royce. Well, should women be preachers, or is preaching by women something that's forbidden in the New Testament? Welcome back to the Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I'm Julie Royce, and as we've been discussing, this issue of women preaching has become a national discussion because of a back and forth between popular Bible teacher Beth Moore and prominent pastor John MacArthur. You know, what does the Bible really say about this issue? But what I want to do in this last segment, and and again, I know there's some people listening and they're probably like, wow, she didn't have anybody on who disagreed with women preaching. And I do that a lot. I will have people on and we'll debate it. And I just felt like with this issue, that's just not what I I wanted to do. I think a lot of people are very familiar 
with the hardline complementarian uh, position. If you want to read something on that, I'm going to post it to my Facebook page. So if you go to facebook.com slash reachjulieroyce, um, Kevin DeYoung wrote an article actually pushing back on John Dixon's position. And I think it's important for us to engage with both sides, read both sides, engage with them, see what you think and what the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you. And, and I don't think it's up to us to decide. I mean, I think there is one truth and we're trying to discover it. But, you know, sometimes we do it in a broken way. Um, but, Lena, what I really connected with with you was this sense of calling, mm. you know, that you felt you felt called to preach. And uh, a lot of people don't know this about me, but. I actually have preachers in my background who were women, um, men and women, but my uh, grandmother on my mother's mother uh, actually was an evangelist in the poor areas of Appalachia, and she met my grandfather because my grandfather's sister, my Aunt Onita, when she was 17, she came home and she announced to her father that she had become a Christian. And my, fa- my great-grandfather, who was a drunk, but also a, a physician, um, but he got furious and kicked her out of the house. And my grandpa, who was abused by my great-grandpa, um, my grandpa, when he got old enough, went out with his sister and was, um, was led to the Lord by his Antonita. My Antonita became a, an evangelist in the poor areas of Appalachia as well, became a minister with the Wesleyan denomination, became actually a bishop in the church. My grandmother was a deacon of women at Houghton College, which is Wesleyan tradition. They were allowed to do that. Um, my mother schooled me in being egalitarian, and I was egalitarian for a big part of my life um, until I got to the, you know, actually it was the LGBT issue that made me really press into this, and I began to say, well, wait a second. <laughs> I'm seeing LGBT and they're basically saying there's absolutely no functional difference between men and women mm. and that we have these sex roles that are completely interchangeable. And um, and I had a real I had a problem with that. I, I said, then, you know, that's not quite right. We're missing something there. Clearly in Scripture, God created male and female different. And it started me on a journey that, you know, I document in my book, Redeeming the Feminine Soul. And I come at it a little bit differently um, than even John does, although I I. When you look at just that First Timothy passage, I, I mean, that's a good argument. I, I'm wrestling with it. Um, but I think more just from that big picture, why did God create male and female? Why are we different? Why are, uh, why are we here? But I remember feeling very passionately um, called to pastor. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do, right? When I was in my young 20s, I wanted so badly to, you know, lead people to the Lord. I mean, that's all I wanted to do. You know, I'd come out of a, you know, the real struggle uh, with my, my own faith and had radically, you know, just profoundly met the Lord. And just, I, I, to me, I didn't want to do anything but church mm. work. I didn't want to do anything but reach people for Jesus. That's all I wanted to do. And it's like, what do you do? And I remember I had gotten into Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and Northwestern University in journalism. Mm. And I talked to my mother who had gone to seminary and she said, Julie, you're going to go crazy in seminary. They'll, they'll spend an entire class period arguing about one Greek word, and you'll be ready to just like, you know, lose yourself. I mean, you, you, you'll go insane, because she knows my temperament. I'm an activist, you know, at, at heart. And um, and so that combined with, I was like, you know, nobody's going to ever hire me anyway. Mm. I'm a woman. What can I do? And so I ended up going into journalism as a plan B. I, I look now at how God has taken me. I mean, it was so funny to me, though. I mean, I was in, in ministry, youth ministry for a long time, and I wasn't allowed to, to preach in the church at all. 
But then I got on radio and I'm on Moody Radio of all places. And now I'm speaking to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> thousands and thousands of people, um, which I've had opportunity to do through radio and through writing, you know, influencing people. But again, it was like this thing on Sunday mm-hmm. morning. You couldn't do that. And I, I've wrestled with it. And I know you've wrestled with it, too, Lena. And it's um, it's a very difficult thing. I have I have so much uh, like I have a very good friend. Who's a who's a pastor, mm. and I have to say, at this point in my life, at what I've with my study, I, I don't think women should be pastors. But am I going to tell her she's not doing the work of the Lord and she's out there? I love her, and she's so passionate for the Lord, and she's led all these people to the Lord. I I just I wrestle with it. I just mm. really do. Yeah, no question about it. And honestly, I mean, even going back to calling, though, I think I think it, for me, a dangerous to say. I, or, or I think a, a different, like a, maybe a difference between in this discussion, between even when you were talking about not having somebody who was egalitarian, um, in that uh, I really felt called to preach. I didn't, or to teach the Bible. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel called to preach on Sundays. Yeah, right. Do you see? And, so I, and I really believe that God was going to open doors somewhere, anywhere. Mm-hmm. I just don't think God was going to be constrained. And I, my job was to get equipped and, and I think that's huge because I think, like you go back to what John was saying, I see a lot of women who stop before they get equipped because they're so caught up in the debate. I, want, I was oblivious to any debate when I started serving the Lord and teaching, and I taught in a small Sunday school class and then later in a bigger Sunday school class, and I was told by a pastor who's very, who was very respected at the time and uh, one of the best communicators of all times that you need at least 500 teachings or messages before you become good at something, and I took that to heart. Mm-hmm. And so I said yes to anything, any. Mm-hmm invitation that anybody asked me so that I feel like I, I was able to develop the giftedness that God has, had given me. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that I had been given that giftedness. And so, you know, I think um, I think for me, I, I find a lot of freedom to speak and teach in, in any context. And, and, and then the whole, like you could get sort of laughing about even, well, at what age is it okay? So you could teach up until 18 and then after high school, like something oh. happens at 18 and a day. <laughs> I know. That's what happened with us in youth or, ministry. Or you could teach on Wednesday nights, but on a Sunday, you know, a conference where you uh-huh. did, like I would watch these women who were very conservative and then they would be teaching on the radio to men and women but it wasn't Sunday morning and even now that argument I just don't think holds like if you're going to teach men on the radio versus teaching them on Sunday morning I don't think there's a big difference the pastoral the elder role I believe it's hard for me to to look at scripture and and really come to a conclusion that it's that there isn't a pattern and a difference between the way that created God, that God created men and women. And I think mm-hmm. I believe in headship in the home, not just in the church. And so there is it is a complicated issue. It is why we've been arguing about it for decades. Well, and and this is where, and I agree with you. I do. That's where I came down. It and I realized uh, for me one of the big things when I looked at why did God create male and female? We are the image. One, the Godhead, and I'd never heard that before, but I remember reading that and going to actually professors mm-hmm. at Trinity. You, you read in Genesis, you know, God created them male and female. In his image, mm-hmm. he created them male Amen. and female. So there's something about male and female. Then you go forward to Genesis 2.24 and you see that the two become one flesh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then that same one flesh uh, union mm-hmm. is referenced in Ephesians when God talks about, you know, this mystery of Christ mm-hmm. and the church. And so we have this marriage is meant to one show how the Godhead, how the Trinity, how the, how these multiple persons become one. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that before, but it's good trinitarian theology. And when you think of that, when you when you think of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, when they exist together, you you don't you don't get this sense like when we're talking about this, like when I heard John MacArthur and again, a phenomenal teacher in so many ways, but I heard that 
And as a woman, I don't know. I, I don't know how women don't react to that. Yeah, it felt demeaning. It 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 felt so diminishing of me as a person. Right. Um. And and so you know, I hear that, and I have a very difficult time. But you don't sense in the Godhead. You see the Father, you know, honoring the Son, the Son glorifying the Father. You see this mutuality. And then in the in the New Testament, we see that marriage, male and female, is supposed to is supposed to reflect the Godhead. Yeah, uh, not just the Godhead, but but um, Christ's relationship with the church. Right. And you see Christ. What does he do? He gives himself up for the bride. Right. right? And right. and we receive him. And and but there's a difference. There yeah. is a difference. You know, God to me is always masculine in relation mm-hmm. to us because he always initiates. We always receive. I don't think Christ could be the bride as much right. as he could be the bridegroom. Why? Because the bridegroom initiates. And we see that even in our, in our you know, bodies. That's how we're built. You know, it, there's a difference between male and female. Right. So I think that's so important. And I love that you're, you're not undermining that. And I, I don't undermine it. In fact, I think it's so important. And today, that confusion you know, it's just, un, it, it's so sad. Well, well, and there's a point where it can't become so, like it can become so f- such a focus for some woman where it's like a deal breaker. Like if I don't get to teach on Sunday, then I'm out. Mm. And I, I think that's always a good test. Like honestly, if somebody came to me and said, hey, you can't teach anymore. Uh, let's just say the Lord really spoke to my heart. And said, my ministry would not stop. Like, <laughs> like I'm, not in, I'm not serving the Lord in order to teach on Sunday. Like again, you go back to it. Like I want to do whatever. I'm happy holding a door for people to walk, you know, like, I don't care what I do in the kingdom of God. I really don't. And the older I get, the more convinced I am of that. And Mm. I think if we have men and women who ultimately, that is their ultimate thing is, God, I'm going to serve you no matter what you want. And I don't care if it's, you know, again, the head pastor of a church or the head usher or the guy who cooked Stephen was called to to clean house, you know, Mm. and to take care of the widows. And yet he was the first one to give his life for the gospel. I mean, so I think you see this, this willingness for men and women to, to do whatever it is that God has called them to do, no matter what opinion, public opinion, the the, the way of the day, you know, and then, and then just trust God to open those opportunities and the best you can, do the best you can to honor and the, the Lord and honor his word and honor the structure you're in. Maybe you are in a, in a conservative church right now, or maybe you're not. And so sort of be willing to be, and I will use the word submissive to the mm-hmm. place God has you in. And if it's a place where you can't bear it anymore, find somewhere else after, you know, you do what you need to do to flourish in the kingdom. But, but my two cents worth as, you know, we come to the end, even of this, this program is, um, don't let it ruin your faith. And I've watched mm. so many women now in their 20s and 30s who want to teach God's word, whose faith is is being hit because of this argument. And if you could just take your eyes off of the debate and just focus on growing in your giftedness and your relationship with the Lord and hearing the voice of God in your life through his word, I think how much more freedom you'd experience. Well, and it's so important that we worship Christ and him alone, and we recognize, I mean, <laughs> if anything, you know, the past several years have shown me, yeah, we're, we're, we're broken right. in the church. We, we don't reflect everything right. perfectly, and, and I appreciate that, that admonition. And I just, you know, I, we don't have much time, but I know it's, we're coming back to this. I do think that what we're reacting to often in the church isn't so much the theology again, but there is, I think, a latent misogyny. And some of what John MacArthur said about kindness and compassion, about these being weaknesses and something that might lead women to deception, I mean, was Jesus not? Right. It's it's kindness and compassion. I mean, are these not fruits of the Spirit? Is this not something that that Jesus exhibited? And and I I just fear, and and I would just say to men listening, um, 
think about your theology, but also think about your biases. Well, what's happening in there? Is, is, or do you honor women? And and the concept, like I feel more scared to show up to heaven and like say I, I, I had a gift to teach and I never did anything with it. I always felt compelled by the passage of scripture that says, take your talent and use it. Like, what mm. am I going to do? Bury it? And that's the, the person that when the Lord you know goes through the parable of the talents, I mean, it, use what God has given you. And I think that was always something that, that I think was so important to me as I was developing in the gift of, of, of teaching. And, and I, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think that there's, I think still that there's so much distraction happening in the evangelical church right now over, I mean, at the end of the day, if we believe in Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins, I mean, Beth Moore might be John MacArthur's neighbor in heaven. <laughs> I love that. You know what? We're all going to live together in heaven, so we better learn to get along. Hey, men, bless the women. Women, bless the men. Let's not have a battle between us. Let's have love. Let's have affirmation. Let's show the world what the church is supposed to look like. Thanks again, Lena Abajamra. I'm Julie Royce. You've been listening to The Roy's Report. Have a great weekend, and God bless. <music>